Nang marinig nga nila ang mga bagay na ito, ay nangasugatan sila sa puso at siya'y pinanggalitan nila ng kanilang mga ngipin. Datapwat siya palibhasa'y puspos ng Espiritu Santo ay dumitig na maigi sa langit at nakita niya ang kaluhalatian ng Diyos at si Jesus na nakatindig sa kanan ng Diyos. At nagsabi, Narito, nakikita kong bukas ang mga langit at ang anak ng tao na nakatindig sa kanan ng Diyos. Tatapot, sila'y nagsigawan ng malakas na tinig at nakatakip ng kanilang mga tainga at nangasikaisang siya'y dinaluhong. At siya'y kanilang itinapon sa labas ng bayan at binato at inalagay ng mga saksi ang kanilang mga damit sa mga paanan ng isang binata na nangangalang Saulo. At kanilang pinagbuhatan si Esteban na tumatawag sa Panginoon at nagsasabi, Panginoong Hesus, tanggapin mo ang aking espiritu. At siya'y nanikluhod at sumigaw ng malakas na tinig, Panginoon, huwag mong iparatang sa kanila ang mga kasalanan ito at pagkasabi niya nito ay nakatulog siya. At si Saulo ay sumangayon sa kanilang pagkamatay at nang araw na yaroy nangyari ang isang malaking pag-uusig laban sa iglesia na nasa Jerusalem. At silang lahat ay nagsipangalat sa lahat ng mga dako ng Judea at Samaria maliban na sa mga apostol. At inilibing si Esteban ng mga taong masipag sa kabanalan at siya'y tinanggihan ng isa kawasa. Datapwat pinuksa ni Saulo ang iglesia na pinapasok ang bahay-bahay at kinalakad ang mga lalaki at mga babae at sila'y ipinasok sa bilangguan. Ang mga nagsipangalat nga ay nagsipaglakbay na ipinangaral ang salita. At bumaba si Felipe sa bayan ng Samaria at ipinangaral sa kanila ang Kristo. At ang mga karamihay ng kakaisang nangakikinig sa mga bagay na sinasalita ni Felipe, pagkarinig nila at pagkakita ng mga tanda na ginawa niya. Sabagkat marami may mga karumaldumal espiritu ay nangasilabas sila ng nagsisigaw ng malakas na tinig at maraming lumpo at pilay ang pinagaling at nagkaroon ng malaking kagalakan sa bayang iyon. Good morning, everyone. Morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. A bit cold, but hopefully warm in here. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to Rodell for reading um, those verses. And just to say, I think I've really, really been enjoying these um, um, Roots and Shoots series that we've been having over the last few weeks. Um, it's been really, really creative. Um, it's been nice to see, like, and nice to hear different, like, languages, um, and just hearing the Bible being read from different parts of the world, and it just shows God's creativity. So 
Yes, well done to the, the leadership team um, for leading us accordingly. And speaking of the leadership team as well, I'd like to start off by saying thank you. Um, I don't take it for granted um, being asked to speak, so thank you so much for trusting me with this platform. Um, before we get into the preach, I'd like to go back to the um, starting question. What is one thing that you feel you can't live without, Daniel? Friends, that's very important. Everybody else? Anyone? Food? Yeah, that's really important. Coffee. Coffee, oh well. Okay, fair enough. Um, anyone else? Internet, yes. I, I expected... Between iTunes. Oh, sorry, I don't understand what that means. Um, I expected someone to probably say their phones, especially in this generation. Um, that's probably quite um, an important one. I think for me, when I was thinking about this question, obviously, apart from the basic things like food, water, community, one thing that came to mind was sunshine and warmth. I don't like the cold weather at all. So winter is not my favorite season. Um, I think it's probably my African background. Um, but yes, warmth is something that I, I definitely know that I can't live without. Um, so in starting today's um, Topic. So basically, I will be continuing the series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And today, we're going to focus on how the church kind of moved outside of Jerusalem. So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the early church um, started. Um, and today, we're going to talk about how, we, how they expanded basically beyond Jerusalem. And to start off with, I will be starting off from where Steve left us last week. So Steve, quite nicely laid a really, really good foundation um, for our preach today. Um, and he introduced one of the main characters, which is Stephen. Does anybody remember Stephen from last week? Anyone? Yeah. Daniel? I know Stephen from the Bible. Okay, you know from the Bible, yes. Does anybody know, remember who Stephen was? Uh, Okay, so Stephen was basically one of the deacons that um, the apostles commissioned to lead the food distribution side of things and lead the admin side um, of things um, so that they could focus on the preaching of the word and the prayer. So Stephen was one of the seven deacons that they commissioned to do that. And in order to go into today's um, verses, I'll have to probably take us back a bit just to set a bit of context. So I will start off by reading from Acts chapter 6, actually. So Acts chapter 6 from verses 8 to 12. And hopefully, yes, the verses are up. Um, so it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia, None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. So obviously this happened before today's verse. So they, they arrested him, brought him before the, the high council, and then he gave a really, really powerful speech in Acts chapter 7. And I would really encourage us to um, spend some time looking at that scripture basically um, during this week. Um, and there are a few principles that I'd like to draw 
from Stephen's life um, before we get started proper. And so basically, we could see that from last week's teaching that Steve um, taught us um, from Acts, we could see that um, Stephen basically was empowered by the Holy Spirit to, in fact, it was the, one of the key criteria for him being selected as, alongside the other six deacons was that he was a man that was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So he'd been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do his ministry duties and as part of that, so in addition to the administration of the food, um, the food distribution ministry, he also performed many miracles and signs amongst the people. And obviously, some people were blessed by that, but some people were envious. So we could see that the Holy Spirit's empowerment resulted in, sorry, next slide, please. Thank you. So the Holy Spirit's empowerment resulted in him being able to do his ministry, perform mighty miracles, that resulted in people being envious of him, which eventually resulted in his arrest. And then he gave that speech that I was just talking about in Acts chapter 7. And after that speech, the speech really, really angered people to the point where he was pretty much stoned to death. And looking at this trajectory or this timeline, so Holy Spirit, ministry, envy from people, arrest, speech, and death. There's a Bible character that... that um, had a very similar experience to Stephen. Uh, does anybody, could anybody hazard a guess as to who that was? I, I think I can hear. Fantastic, exactly. It was Jesus. So Stephen's life mirrored Jesus's life um, a lot. Um, um, so for example, remember when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He was able to, he was empowered to fulfill his ministry, um, which obviously brought about envy from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He eventually was arrested and, and he died. Um, so we can see that uh, there, there are a lot of um, commonalities, basically, between Stephen and Jesus' own life. But another thing that I found when I was preparing for this teaching as well was that Stephen's experience, so everything he went through, so his life, his ministry, and everything he, he went through, and eventually his death, actually led to the beginning of fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we'll just read that um, to start off with. Um, and this is Jesus speaking. And he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and then if we then compare that um, verse, basically Jesus's words, to Acts chapter 8 from verses, verses 1 and 4, which was part of the, the reading of today, it says, Saul, who was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So basically, the day, the very day that Stephen died, a great persecution, a great wave of persecution started. And that people were pretty much fleeing their homes. So they, they were forced out of Jerusalem and they were forced to flee into to the neighboring town. So they went to Judea and Samaria. And as they were going, um, 
running away um, from Jerusalem, they were preaching about Jesus wherever they went. And I just found it interesting that it's, it's funny how God fulfills prophecy. Um, when, so when Jesus was speaking in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it sounded like um, exciting, like, yes, you receive power and you you'll go about doing great things for me. And, and I'm sure like every, well, there, there are some of us here who have received words that God has shared with us over the years. And sometimes we, we probably think, oh, um, the, the, like it, we, we might sometimes get caught up in the excitement of the word, but sometimes that word, the outworking of that word is not always pleasant. And we see that in this situation with the church. So up until now, up until that time, rather, um, the church had been in Jerusalem. Um, and it was this incident that pretty much um, got them out of Jerusalem and into the, the wider world. And there are a few points that we can pull from that, these two verses. And the first thing, basically, is that living for God is costly. Um, if at any point when we came to Christ, if we thought, oh, everything will be hunky-dory, um, come to Jesus, you, you'll have no issues at all. That's not true. In fact, Christ himself, at no point did he make people believe that coming to him was going to be a, a walk in the park or an easy ride. Quite contrary. Like he, he actually several, like many times he kept on saying, if you, if you follow me, there is a cost to pay. And um, for example, in Luke chapter 9, um, verse 23, it says, then he said to the crowd, so this is Jesus speaking, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take, take up your cross daily and follow me. And for us, we, we might wonder, what does taking up our cross daily mean? Um, I know Jesus definitely didn't mean carrying like an actual wooden cross around um, about um, each day, definitely not. He was speaking in a figurative manner. And taking up our cross pretty much means giving up our own way. So giving up the way in which we would like to do our, our own lives, live our own lives, um, and follow his example. And what was Christ's example? His example was one of sacrifice. His example was one of selflessness. His example was one of putting himself down so that other people could, could live. I mean, he, he gave his life for us, um, and that's what we're called to do each day. We might not necessarily die physically. Um, most of us probably wouldn't, um, but we, we will we'll, um, choose to basically put ourselves down in terms of put our own interests down so that other people can be blessed. Now, if we try to bring that home, um, taking up our cross daily, um, what does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? It could be, for example, your... You're at, at work um, and you have a difficult colleague um, and, and taking up your cross might mean just being kind even though your flesh or your, your, your natural response wants to be unkind to them. That could be taking up your cross daily. It could also be, for example, you, are, you're, you run a business and there's somebody that wants to do business with you. And they're saying, oh, in order to do this, you, you might need to falsify a few documents here. You might need to be... Um, fraudulent, and you say, no, sorry, that doesn't line up with my values. I don't do business this way. And it might cost you that business deal. It might cost you that expansion at the time. But one thing I want to encourage us about is that there's nothing that we give up for God um, that he won't redeem. That sacrifice will always, it will ultimately be worth it, be it here on earth or in eternity in, in heaven. Another point that I'd like to draw as well from this scripture 
or from what we've been reading, is that God will often use pain to get us to grow or to move us to the next level. You see, at, at this point in the church, they, they were comfortable in Jerusalem. They were comfortable, like they'd been, um, as we read uh, a few weeks ago, they'd been going about like into other people's house, into each other's houses, breaking bread, doing fellowship. And it was great. I mean, it's, it's nice if we, if we just like live our lives in our own bubble, hang out with our friends and family, like it was comfortable. But the truth is God never intended the gospel to stay in Jerusalem. That wasn't what he said. That was not his heart. He intended for the gospel to go into the whole world. And, and so that's why he needed them to, to leave Jerusalem, as he had said, that they would witness about him beyond Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and for us today, um, it's, it's easy. As human beings, our natural should I say, natural response is to live in comfort. If I said, if I took a poll and I said, does anybody want to live an uncomfortable life? I'm sure I'd struggle to, to find anybody raising their hands. The, the, the normal, regular person wants to be safe, wants to be comfortable. However, one thing that I do know in the few years that I, I've lived so far, we can never grow in the place of comfort. If, if we're going to grow, we're going to get out of our comfort zones and, and live and a couple analogies came to mind, um, but I'll, I'll just share one um, for time. So as we all know from biology um, and also observing people around us, when a woman is pregnant, so when, it, when a child is conceived, um, the child stays in the mother's womb for about nine months uh, in, in a normal scenario, and then the child is born. Now, obviously, um, based on the way God created things, the, the, no, the natural order is nine months. The, the woman was not designed to keep that baby for longer than that period um, because her body can't, physically just can't um, keep the baby for longer. And if that baby is going to grow up to be a full-fledged human being, that's not going to be able to happen in the mother's womb. The, the baby has to be born. And I've always also wondered as well, like when a baby is born, why do they cry? Now, there are various medical professionals around, um, so I won't even attempt to explain things from a scientific or medical perspective because I'm not, I'm not a medical professional. But I've, I've always wondered, like just, even just from the point of comfort, is it, could it be that the baby is saying, oh, I've spent all this while in this warm, safe environment, no smells, no noise, and now you've brought me out into this place? where there's strange sounds, there's strange smells. Who moved my cheese, basically? Um, and, and to the baby, the baby may think, why are you doing this to me? But if the baby is going to grow, as we all have grown, we, we all started off as babies and we're not babies today, um, that baby is going to have to come out of, of their mother's womb and they're going to have to interact with, with people and, and they're going to have to eat and, and do different things um, in order to grow. They're going to have to come out of that comfortable space in order to grow. And that's exactly what happened um, to the early church. And that's what happens to us as well. Um, my final point, which um, is buttressed by what I just said, is that there is always a bigger picture behind the discomfort. So there's, there's always more that God is doing um, if not, for example, for that persecution that happened in the early church thousands of years ago, we probably wouldn't be sat here today. If not for that horrible incident that happened, we wouldn't be here. 
And one thing that I know about God um, and I've seen in my own life um, and, and observing other people's lives as well is that God never wastes our pain. He never wastes our difficulties, especially when we hand them over to him. And I find it quite interesting that, you know, in Acts 1-8, how Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, I find it also interesting, the play of numbers. Um, again, God is, there's nothing coincidental about that. 1-8-8-1 was when the prophecy was fulfilled. I know the Bible wasn't written, when it was written, there weren't like verses, but for us today, they are. Um, and I find that quite interesting. But also, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that was just the beginning of Christ's prophecy being fulfilled. So they moved out of Jerusalem. They went to Judea and Samaria. But he didn't plan for the gospel to stop in Samaria. He said to the ends of the earth. And I find it quite amazing that the, the, the key persecutor of the church at that time, Saul, who later became Paul, the Apostle Paul as we know him, was one of the key people that Jesus chose to play a major role in the last part of that prophecy to the ends of the earth. Paul was one of the, the major apostles to the Gentiles. Um, and it's, it's out of his ministry that um, the gospel got spread to Europe and, and to, to the rest of the world um, as we know it. And I just find it interesting that God took that man who did that horrible thing um, by consenting to Stephen's death to redeem um, humanity in the sense that he, he was also then used to preach the gospel to, to the Gentiles. And I just find it quite amazing. And I'm reminded also of Joseph in the Bible. Um, and it says in Genesis 50, 20. So I'm sure a lot of us are probably relatively familiar with Joseph's story. Um, how, for example, he got sold into slavery because his brothers just were not having it and they were a bit envious of him. And eventually he, he grew up um, even further in Egypt, they, as Israelites, eventually came to Egypt to survive the famine. And years down the line, after his father had passed and his brothers were again like a bit scared that, oh my gosh, I hope he's not going to revenge for what we did um, to him. And he said to them in Genesis 50, 20, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Um, I just want to encourage us that at the time when we're going through difficult things, it's hard to see what this is all about. Um, is it a difficult situation in your family? Is it a health problem? You're like, God, like, I didn't ask for this. Like, how does this even help anything? But there is, there is a purpose. Now, God doesn't cause us pain um, because he's a good God. He doesn't cause pain. This, this world is filled, unfortunately, with painful things, with, with wickedness, with evil, because of the fall of mankind that happened back in the garden. Um, however, what God does, because he is good, is he takes that pain. When we give it to him, he redeems it and uses it for his ultimate purpose and for our good, if we trust him. And just to encourage us, basically, whatever difficult situation that you're facing, I just want to encourage you to just ask God to help you to see beyond that pain and, and to remember that it's not primarily about you. There's a story behind that. There's, there's, a, there's a message behind that mess. There's a story in the middle of that. And um, 
I'm going to be very vulnerable um, at this point. Um, so I'm not yet married. Um, and there are days where like that can be quite uncomfortable. Um, and there are days when I feel a bit low. There are days when I feel a bit tired of the wait, waiting to be with the right person. But on those days and in those moments, I'm reminded by God and by the Holy Spirit that my marriage is not about me. It's not primarily about me. Yes, I, I will be blessed by the wonderful man that God has for me, but it's not primary. Our marriage is not primarily about me. It's about the lives that God wants to touch. Their lives attached to our story. Their lives attached to my marriage. And the same thing for you, whatever it is you're waiting on for, whatever it is you're going through, I just want to encourage you that there's a higher purpose their lives to be blessed, their lives to be touched. You might be waiting for marriage like myself here. You might be waiting for a child that you've been waiting on for years and years, wondering, God, what is, what's happening? You might be waiting for healing. You may, maybe you've been praying for healing and that hasn't come about yet or hasn't come about the way you want it to. There is a greater purpose behind that. You might be waiting for direction. You might be waiting for a job. There's a greater purpose. And I just want to encourage us, your, your weight is not in vain. God has a purpose and he will use it as you trust him with it. And I'm reminded of Hannah um, in the Bible. Um, year after year after year, she kept on praying, oh God, give me, give me a child, give me a son. And, and there came a point where she, I like to call it like the point at which her miracle was triggered, where she realized and she said, you know what, God, Give me a son and I will give him back to you. And it was almost like shortly after that she conceived and she gave birth to Samuel and she went on to have other children as well. You see, Hannah had been praying for a child, praying for a child, being taunted by the, the, her fellow, um, the fellow, um, should I say, wife in the house, and Penina, um, who had had like lots of children at this point. She kept on being taunted um, by that and was just like desperate to have a child. But God at the time was desperate for a prophet. He was desperate for someone in Israel who was eventually going to be a kingmaker, who was going to uh, anoint the first king of Israel and the next king of Israel, David, who, who took after Saul. Um, so basically, Hannah was asking for a child in, in her own context, in, in her, um, her own world. But God was looking for someone much more than that. He was not just wanting to give her a child. He wanted to give the nation a prophet. He want, I mean, Samuel was one of like the greatest prophets that we read about in scripture. So basically, whatever it is we're trusting God for, there is a bigger picture behind that. There's a bigger purpose behind that. And I just want to encourage us with that today. And as I was preparing this um, teaching, I came across this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. So I'll just find it and read it. And it says, we can share it. I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. He has a loving purpose and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never for nothing. Now, I don't know if um, anyone is familiar with Elizabeth Elliot's story, 
Um, so I'll just give a very, very, very quick overview. And please feel free to read up on, on this. Um, so she was married to her, hus her first husband at the time, Jim Elliott. And they were, they were very, I, I think, quite early on in their marriage. Um, so they went to Ecuador alongside some other missionary friends, other couples as well, just to, to preach the gospel to that region. And not too long, I guess, after they got there, um, her husband and a few of the other husbands um, went. They wanted to um, reach a particular native tribe in the area, and they took a boat um, to, to that part. And very shortly after they arrived, they were killed. They were murdered um, by the people that they came to preach to. Um, and for a young wife, and there were a few young wives and very few young children as well, that, that was a big blow to their lives. That was very devastating. Um, yet God redeemed that situation in that shortly after that um, episode, she and a few of the other women actually went back to that very tribe and they witnessed to, to the people that killed their husbands. And those people be eventually became Christians. And that, that part of Ecuador um, experienced the gospel. So God can, if, if there's someone that knows what I guess deep sorrow is, this, this woman definitely did. Um, and I'm sure that everybody here would have some painful story as well. And, and I just want to encourage you that the God who redeemed her story the God who brought about his ultimate purpose from that painful situation can do the same for you and for me today. Um, so as I close, I just want us to reflect on a few questions and I'll just ask the band to kindly come up. So based on everything that I said, do we, my first question is this, do we want to live safe, self-centered lives? Do we want our lives to just be about us, my money, my car, my husband, my child, my time, my, my intentions, my, 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 my? Or do we want to be part of God's higher purpose? Do we want our lives to be driven by God's greater purpose and be part of what he's building in the world? My hope is that our response is yes. I say yes. I want to be part of God's greater purpose. Is there anybody else that feels the same, that wants to live beyond themselves? Thank you. I see those hands. I want to be part of what God is doing beyond my life, beyond what I see. Thank you. My next question then is, what will it cost you? Because to say that it will cost you nothing is a lie. Living for God will cost you something. It will cost you your comfort sometimes. It will cost you what you want to do. It will cost you your own way. What is it that God is asking us to lay down today so that we can say yes to his plans? What is it that has been standing in the way of us saying yes? Is it our comfort? Is it our pride? Could God want us to lay down our pride for the sake of that relationship? To save, Could God be saying, lay down your pride so that I can restore your marriage? Is it, for example, your money? Is, is there something that you're like, oh, I want to use this money for this. And God is like, ah, oh, but there, there's that person in need, though. Is that as important? Is what you want to buy as important as giving someone shelter or food? Could it be your, your life? Could it be your decisions, like the, the ability to, to make your own decisions? Could it be your right to be right? 
whatever it is, I just want to encourage us, even in the quiet of this moment, to lay that down. I, I'd like to invite us to, to kindly rise, actually, please, and, and just spend some time just laying that down before God. Whatever it is has been getting in the way of what God wants us to do as individuals. Could it be serving, be in church or in your community, and you just keep giving excuse after excuse? Could it be your time? Um, whatever that is, I'd like us to spend just a couple moments in prayer, just between yourself and God, because it's a very personal question. Just give a few more seconds. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for the privilege not just to be your children, but to be your agents in this world, to be your hands, to be your feet. And I just pray that in the different contexts that you've called us, in the different places that you've You've put us, oh God, that we will live our lives for you. I pray that, Lord, we will no longer live self-centered lives that are driven by our own agenda, but that heaven's agenda will be foremost in our minds. Heaven's agenda will be the priority of our lives, that we will truly embody your word in Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and every other thing will be added unto you, that as we seek you, we will see you sort out these things. And I pray that every, if, if there's anything that's painful at this time, if, that's, if there's any situation that we've just gone through or are going through that we can't see the sense in, I ask that, Lord, we just place those things in your hands right now. And we ask that, Lord, that you bring beauty out of the ashes. We ask that, Lord, you redeem the pain, you redeem the suffering because it's never for nothing. And we ask that you bring about your greater purpose. And we ask that you be glorified through our lives, that God will look back on the end, at the end of our lives and see the, the bigger picture and see how you've helped us to be part of what you are building. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>